something that, well, it may not seem like it's a lot part of Christmas. The part that is part of Christmas is light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the light of the world. Then he said, you are the light of the world, if you are my, my kid, my faith. Hmm. Light. Is there a question you would like to ask God this morning? If, you, if Jesus was right here, is there a question that you would like to ask him? Uh, you see, scripturally, when we think of light in our culture, we generally think of lights that illuminate and fill the darkness. Scripturally, that was only one of the meanings of light. One of the other meaning of light was uh, uh, darkness was confusion. It was not being able to understand. It was something that went on in our human, in our humanity, that we couldn't quantify, that we couldn't control, that we couldn't understand. And when Jesus is described as the light of the world, yes, he lights it all up, and there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ah. And we look forward to that day, don't we? Yeah. <clears throat> but he was also talking about the reality that if you are walking in an intimate relationship with him, this darkness that tends to creep in at times, a lack of understanding. God, why do you allow this to happen? 
Julie, I just saw you, dear. So good to have you here with us this morning. Julie has been struggling. Julie has been struggling for months with, as far as we can tell, a very preventable issue. Misdiagnosis, misinformation. Julie's one of your kids. God, why didn't you allow that to happen? Which hasn't been with us for for months. Probably because of some spider. We don't know for sure, but something bit him. And it's just ah. Is there anything that you just even in the glory of the season you can't wrap your mind around and it bugs you and you would say, God, why? I, I believe this is very much a part, or it should be very much a part of our Christmas celebration. Because light and darkness, Jesus came to dispel darkness, to bring understanding, to bring hope. I, I want to take you to somebody who uh, may, he's not really usually part of the Christmas narrative. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. This is all about John the Baptist. Now, usually John the Baptist leaves the Christmas narrative after uh, uh, he's six months old. And uh, Mary comes and visits his mom while he's still in utero. And uh, as soon as uh, his mother Elizabeth greets her niece, I guess she would be, Mary. Cousin. Was it? Cousin. Cousin? Cousin. 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 Whatever. Relative. Relative. Thank you. But it's... With the greeting, John leaps in his mother's womb. And that's the last we hear of him. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 11. Now this is a very different season in John's life. Okay? Verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John, tell him what you have heard and what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's huge. I'll deal with that in just a moment. Perhaps even larger, even more significant than all of the healings, the good news is preached to the poor. And tell them God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Let me remind you who John is. I, I, I'm sure well, you're well aware of this, but he's Jesus' cousin. 
He's about six months older than Jesus. He is the one who baptized Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as Jesus approached him. This is the one who said about Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He is the one about whom Jesus says, and I quote, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Hmm. What a huge statement. That's Jesus saying that. And yet, apparently, John is doubting. Does this doubt seem kind of strange coming from such a spiritual giant? Let's try and understand this a little bit more, this, this doubt thing. First of all, we've got to understand doubt is not a sin. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt is part of the human condition. John Wesley would have called it, he would have labeled it an infirmity. He got that from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And I'll read that in just a moment because it's significant what Paul says about human infirmity or human weakness. Doubt is part of the human condition. Do you remember the story? It's in Mark chapter 9. Jesus' disciples, he had sent them out and they had gone out and they had been teaching and healing and casting out demons and having a huge effect. They had all come back, and they had been reporting to Jesus how things had gone. A dad came up to Jesus during that time and said, "Um, I I brought my son, and the way he describes his symptoms, it's probably grand mal epilepsy, okay? They didn't know anything else. They called it uh, demon possession at that point. Uh, There was certainly demon possession. This was probably... Uh, grand mal uh, epilepsy and uh, the, the dad said I brought him to your your disciples and they couldn't heal him. they couldn't do anything and uh, says I, I'm bringing him to you uh, can you heal him if it's possible and Jesus looked at the dad and said all things are possible him who believes. Remember the dad's statement response to that? Mark chapter 9 verse 24 he said Lord I believe same breath help my unbelief. This is part of the human condition. There is no way you and I cannot not doubt. It's just part of the way we're built. Because of our limited understanding, our frailty, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Doubt is not a sin. Interestingly, in uh, Romans 8.26, Paul says that uh, the Holy Spirit comes to help us with our weaknesses. Not forgive us. It's not a sin to be forgiven. It's a weakness to be helped. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and for us. 
So first of all, doubt is not a sin. Secondly, doubt tends to invade our awareness very subtly, kind of like encroaching darkness. We don't want it. We don't invite it. But all of a sudden, it's just there, casting a shadow of darkness over our whole lives. That's what doubt is. How we respond to doubt will determine whether it becomes ultimately constructive or destructive, and it can go both ways. Very much a part of the human experience, this doubt thing, and God allows it. And it can either become something that really is to our benefit, or it can become something that just drags us down into the pit and becomes extremely destructive. What were the causes? Let's take a look back at John. What were the causes of John's doubt? Well, first of all, unfair circumstances. He's in prison, for Pete's sake. And why is he in prison? Do you remember? He told Herod, it's not okay for you to have married your brother's wife. It's not okay. And so he's in prison. Ultimately, he's beheaded. So John is suffering very, very unfair circumstances. He, he, is, he is suffering from unfulfilled expectations. I can just kind of hear uh, John talking. The Messiah was supposed to do something about all of this Roman mess. And here I am now, the ultimate victim of it. Jesus, are you really the one that... God has promised in Scripture. Are you really Him? He's suffering from an unmet time frame. <laughs> Jesus, now listen, cousin. You've been here for almost 33 years. Honestly, I'm kind of running out of patience, dude. You should have fixed this by now. Are you really the one that... The scriptures promise. Now here's the key. What did John do with his doubts? And this is instructive for you and me. Even in this time with all the bells and lights and hope and tinsel and the wonderful family times, when the doubt begins to creep in, what do we do with it? What did John do with it? What John did, according to this that we've just read, first of all, he admitted he had them. He admitted he was having doubts. How many of you seen Mr. Rogers' movie yet? Yes. That's good. If you haven't, you need to. Um, I wouldn't hardly hesitate to show that on a Sunday morning. It is profoundly helpful. There are two statements that are made in the movie. I'll just share one of them with you. It's right at the end. Gee, uh, Jesus. 
Mr. Rogers is kind of a Jesus figure in this film, actually. But Mr. Rogers has been dealing with a young man, 35-ish, incredibly angry. His father had abandoned him and his sister and his mother as she was on her deathbed. Dad didn't even show up. Uh, and so he, his oldest, had to usher his mother into whatever was next, and he had no idea what was next. He just knew he was flaming mad, and he was still so angry at his dad. And his dad, that anger had, had shaped every part of his life, and in fact, that anger is why, in the story, his editor, he was an, uh, uh, an author, he wrote articles for... Esquire. Esquire magazine. And his editor had said, I want you to go write an article about Mr. Rogers. And uh, in the process of discovering that Mr. Rogers was for real, and he was for real because he followed Jesus, and because of the truth that Mr. Rogers lived and he began to be freed, this young man began to be freed of this incredible load of anger that he carried his whole life. And right at the end of the movie, Mr. Rogers makes a statement that's very appropriate here. Hopefully it sticks with you. It will me. I don't think I'll ever forget it. And I'll use it again and again and again and again. And it's this simple. Mr. Rogers looked at this young man and he said, if you can mention it, you can manage it. You see, the reality is, when we're, pain, when we're in pain, or we're in doubt, or something's going on inside of us, that, especially as Christians, it's not okay for me to feel this way. If it's an issue of doubt, it's not okay for me to have this kind of doubt. I'm a Christian. So, we don't say anything about it. We don't want anybody to know. And we just bury it. When we're dealing with incredible anger, the, the greatest temptation is to bury that anger, to never say anything about it, because we're ashamed, we're embarrassed of the anger itself. I shouldn't be, feel that way. I'm, I'm older than that. I'm more mature than that. I should have been able to get over this a long time ago. And we say nothing. The cardinal doctrine is shut your mouth. Don't let anybody see you sweat. Remember that commercial? Sorry. <clears throat> Don't let anybody see you sweat. Until this young man was willing to talk about his anger, mention it. It was a cancer to him. My brother or sister, if you have questions that appear to be unanswerable, that are beginning to drive a wedge to, to cripple perhaps your ability to trust God, don't keep that bottled up inside. Say something. Mention it. Follow John's uh, example here. He admitted he had the doubts. Okay? 
And then he sought the assistance of others. John called his disciples. They were still following him, even though he was in prison. And he said, guys, I need you to do something for me. I am honestly doubting whether this this Yeshua guy, this Jesus guy, is the Messiah that we've been looking for. I need you to go talk to him. Not only did he mention his doubt, he sought assistance with it. Don't carry the burden yourself. You know what? You may think you're the only one who's ever had doubt in this particular area, or anger, whatever it might be. Guess what? You're not that unique. You just ain't that special. There is nothing new under the sun. Mention it. Admit it. Ask somebody to help you with it. But then the last thing that Jesus did, and the most important, he asked Jesus for help. (laughs) He didn't send them to some, go talk to the religious leaders, go talk to Herod. He said, go talk to Jesus. Go to the source and ask him. (laughs) What was Jesus' response to John's cry for help? I think it's significant what he did not say. Jesus did not say, Oh, ye of little faith. He said that in other contexts. But in this one, he didn't. Jesus did not chide his cousin. He didn't deride him or his doubt. How could you doubt? You've known me as longer than most anybody that knows me. didn't say that. He encouraged John to look again. Jesus' response to John's disciples' query, are you really the one we're looking for? John wants to know. He says, go back and tell John to look again. Look again at what? Well, look again at all of the ways that Jesus had been healing. Every one of those were predicted in, in Old Testament Scripture. So every one of them were fulfillments of Messianic prophecy. But let me take you back again to where he not only remember the messianic prophecies, but the ultimate reason the Messiah had come was not for all of the healings, but in verse 5 was the good news is being preached to the poor. There is hope. There is healing. And to whom was the message being given? To the poor. Now you may not like this, my friends. If Jesus came today, I doubt he would come to Sedona. I doubt he would come to our church. Jesus came to the poor. Now, there are many ways to be poor, of course. We talked about being poor in spirit. 
and the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's an awareness of our own personal brokenness and poverty spiritually before him. We have nothing to offer him. Nothing. Too often we get to feeling, you know, if I really get serious about this God, I can really do you some good stuff. Jesus didn't come to the powerful. We talk about it all the time at Christmas. He didn't come. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born with all the royal trappings. Who were the first ones who came to adore, explicitly adore? It was the shepherds. Are you, are you aware that the shepherds were the lowest of the low in that culture? There was no occupation that was more derided by the population as a whole. Tell John the good news of what God is making available to you is being preached to the poor. Huge statement. Jesus encouraged John to allow the light of the truth not just the light shining from the stars but the clarity of understanding of what Jesus had really come for. Allowed the light of the truth to expose and overwhelm the darkness of John's doubt. Verse 6 And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You see, turning away is what the darkness of doubt always tempts us to do. Just kind of. Just take a step back here. Hmm. If I could put it in my own words, what Jesus is saying here is blessed or happy are those who choose not to turn away. You see, doubt is a choice. And our response, what we do with doubt... There is a posture that we choose in regard to doubt. I hope this isn't too simple for you. I, uh, I will never forget. I don't think, uh, I don't know. If God uh, allows me or causes me to slip into dementia mentally, I have a feeling that this that my youth pastor taught me will keep coming back to me. He uh, was in, we, he was our, my youth pastor in high school. He's a great teacher, he's a man of God, kind of a larger than life individual. 
but he understood the reality of doubt. And he understood that many of the high school kids facing him, our church was 900, maybe 1,000 in attendance overall, and our youth group was 350 high school kids. And he said this, what you've got to remember about doubt, what our culture teaches us to do is to doubt our beliefs and to believe our doubts. In other words, if I am having any doubt about it at all, it can't be true. That's what our culture teaches us. It says, no, you gotta make a choice. When you are facing uncertainty, when you are facing something that you cannot totally understand, Instead of saying, if I can't understand it, if I can't control it, then I just kind of back away. <clears throat> Instead of doing that, choose to doubt the doubt. Yeah. Here's another way to say it. If I have a doubt, what our culture teaches us to say is, it means that it can't be true. If I doubt it, it can't be true. That's one posture. But the posture that I want to choose and that I have been choosing ever since that day when Pastor Jimmy taught that doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs, that the posture that I have chosen is this. If I have a doubt, that just means I don't understand it yet. That's all it means. Yet. Emphasis on yet. You see, the light of truth always breaks through when we prefer the light of truth to darkness or doubt. It's a choice. The light of truth always breaks through when we prefer it to the darkness of doubt. The Jesus of Christmas is all about light, truth. There will be a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is exactly that. Between now and then, you and I have choice. What's your posture? This is a personal question. What is your posture when you don't understand something, especially about Jesus or about God or why he is allowing or causing something. What is your posture? If I can feel this way, that means that God is not? Or is your posture, I just don't understand it yet. But he'll walk with me through it. See, when Jesus came, that's what he made possible for you and me. That's why we celebrate his light. Let's pray. Father, it's kind of trite for us to say you know us because you made us. It's true. You do know us. 
because you made us. And because you know us so well, you, when you walked those 33 years among us in Jesus, you addressed the realities of broken humanity. And as we have looked in Scripture this morning at the reality that Jesus' own cousin, a spiritual giant of the day, because of circumstances out of his control that were causing him great physical, mental, <laughs> spiritual stress, pain, and ultimately would cause the loss of his life. Jesus, you came so that we don't have to stay trapped in that. I would pray for some of my brothers and sisters here this morning. They might be, they might have been drifting into that darkness, that dark place of doubt. Maybe there's something that they've been dealing with that they just haven't had the courage to share with anybody. It's, I should be able to handle this myself. In fact, it's even a little bit embarrassing to admit that it's there. Would you help us to mention it? So that with your help we can manage it. We're freed from the chains that so easily entangle us. Thank you, Jesus, for making it possible. Thank you for even showing us how you made that, that possible through your cousin. Wow, would you, would you help us today? And would you help us even today or this week as issues come into our awareness that we can't, we can't fix, we can't understand, and they might even tempt us to begin to drift into a dark place of doubt in our relationship with you. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to choose to believe you even when we can't understand you? To take a posture of, no, I don't understand yet. And if I need to understand one day, God will, God will help me understand. Protect us from choosing that very dark, dark path. Believing our doubts. Thank you, Jesus, for making it possible. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the light that you bring to us. It's in your name, the name of Jesus, the very Son of God. God of gods, in fact. God become man, that we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.